you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die on the cross, to rise from the dead, and today in 2019 to be our Lord and Savior, to be the Lord of our lives and the Savior of our souls. Thank you for you, Lord. Church, just, just tell him how thankful you are, how awesome and he is for sinking, Lord God. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And Father, now as we prepare our hearts to get into your word, Lord, speak to us. Let the words from the pages of scripture come alive. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Oh, wow. Amen. Amen. The title of my message this morning is Jesus is Worthy of It All. Jesus is Worthy of It All. And the question I had for you this morning as I was pondering what to say this morning, Lord, what do you want me to say to him? And it is this. What is the value you put in Jesus Christ? In very simple, layman, even scientific terms, what is the value you put in Christ Jesus? When we say he's worthy of it all, that, that's, that's putting a, a very high value. And maybe you're here this morning and you have a high value of Christ. And to that I say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But maybe you're here this morning and, and just being quite honest, you're like, well, you know what? I don't see all the value in Christ. My hope and my prayer this morning is that when we finish this message, man, you see how worthy and how awesome Jesus Christ is. We're looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. And the, the thrust behind the Apostle Paul writing this letter is to combat the Greek philosophy that was coming into the church at Colossae. But at the same time that he's combating this, this philosophy, he's also, in these five verses we're looking at this morning, he's going to show you the exceeding, supreme, awesome value of knowing Jesus Christ. Amen? In 1995, excuse me, 19, not 1995, I got out of the Navy, and I got saved in 1992, so it was, it was two years later. 1994, I had the pleasure of meeting a pastor by the name of Richard Wormbrandt. Pastor Richard Wormbrandt, he came to Bethel Temple Assembly of God in Hampton, Virginia, and he got to speak and what an amazing morning that was. He was already in his late 80s, early 90s. And uh, he came to Bethel Temple, and he was so weak that we had to set up a, um, a chair. He couldn't even preach from a pulpit. He had to sit in um, a chair to, to preach his message. But I want to read to you a biography of Pastor Richard Warmbrandt. That's his wife, Sabina, next to him. He went home to be with the Lord in 2001. But let me, let me tell you a little bit this morning about Pastor Richard Warmbrandt. Pastor Richard Warmbrandt was a Christian minister who endured 14 years of communist imprisonment and torture in his homeland of Romania. In 1945, when the communists seized Romania and attempted to take control of the churches, Pastor Warmbrandt began an effective, vigorous underground ministry to oppressed believers and to Russian soldiers that were occupying Romania. He was arrested in 1948 along with his wife, Sabina, and was imprisoned as slave laborers for three and a half years. Pastor Wormbrandt spent three years in solitary confinement for his faith, seeing no one but his communist tortures for that three years. He was then transferred 
to a group cell where, where the torture continued for five more years. As a Christian leader of the internet of international stature, uh, Richard's imprisonment did not go unnoticed. However, when foreign diplomats asked the communist Romanian government about him, they told him that he had fled the country. Adding to the confusion, Romanian secret police, posing as former prisoners, told his wife that they had attended his burial in the prison cemetery. His family and friends were told that he was dead. After more than eight years in prison, eight years later, that is, um, Pastor Richard Rembrandt was released, immediately resuming his work with the underground church. In 1959, he was rearrested and sentenced to 25 years in prison. Pastor Warren was released through a general amnesty in 1964, again resuming his underground ministries. In May of 1966, he testified before the United States Senate Internal Security Commission here in the U.S., where he was, where he, he was stripped to the waist to show the 18 massive scars from the torture wounds on his body. His story was carried in the newspapers throughout the United States, Europe, and Asia. Pastor Warmbrandt was then warned in September 1966 that the Romania's communist regime, regime planned to assassinate him, but he would not be silenced. Nothing would keep him from preaching the gospel. He, he was determined. He was focused. As the co-founder of Voice of the Martyrs, Pastor Warmbrandt and his wife traveled throughout the world establishing a network more than 30 offices that provided relief to families of imprisoned Christians in the Islamic nations, the communist nations, and other countries where Christians are persecuted because of their faith. His message was simple. His message was simple to those he trained. He said, hate the evil system, love your persecutors, and try to win them over to Christ. What kept Pastor Warren going? He saw this exceeding, great, magnificent value of knowing Jesus Christ. And sometimes, you know, in our Christian walks through the years, our faith can become like wallpaper. We see it every day. We don't take it for granted. You know, it loses its power and its focus over time. But I think from time to time, we need to go back. We need to go back and revisit the scriptures to see our Lord and Savior in a fresh in a new way. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 7, he says, um, Therefore to you who believe, Jesus Christ is precious. He's precious to us. What makes men and women value Jesus Christ? What makes Pastor Warmbrandt, what made him endure three years solitary confinement? I read his book, Voice of the uh, Martyrs. He was in there for three years. He saw no light, no visitors, no nothing. He was in a dungeon. Uh, surrounded by atheism. They mocked his faith. What kept him going? He understood the gospel. He understood the value of Jesus. What value do you place this morning on Jesus Christ? What value is he in your life? What is he worth? The purpose of this letter, as I said in my introduction, is um, the purpose of Colossians was to guard against the Greek philosophies that were infiltrating the church at Colossae. But at the same time, Paul is going to show the surpassing supreme value of Jesus Christ. So this morning, normally at Calvary Chapel, we, we do a half a chapter of Sunday, but I'm going to slow it down a little bit this morning. We're going to look at five magnificent verses. So five verses, five reasons why Jesus is worthy 
of it all. Let's take a look at Colossians chapter 1, if you're not already there, verse 13. Verse 13, the scripture says, For he, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The first reason I present to you this morning why Jesus is worthy of it all is Jesus is your deliverer. Jesus Christ is your deliverer. Look at verse 13. It says, for he rescued us. Ruamai is the Greek word. It means deliverer. It means delivered. The, the picture is of a coast guard, a coast guard rescue swimmer going down and rescuing someone. I was in the Navy. I seen two people go overboard. That ocean out there is vicious, and it will take you down quick. If that helicopter doesn't get out there quickly and that rescue swimmer gets down and picks you up. Well, this world is like a dark ocean and it will swallow you up. It will take you down. But Jesus Christ, just as that rescue swimmer's job is, he descends from heaven above into the deep, dark bowels of this world and rescues you. He, 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 he delivers you. He delivers you. Well, Pastor David, what is what is what does Jesus deliver me from? What does, the, what does the Bible say? Okay, he's a deliverer, but what does he deliver me from? Number one, he delivers you from sin. He delivers you from 1 John 3, 4, sin is transgression of the law, us disobeying the Lord, breaking God's commandments. He rescues us from that life of sin. He breaks the chains. Now, we have to submit to him, and we have to surrender, but he breaks the chains. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what kept Pastor Warmbrandt going, knowing that this message would break the bonds of sin to his captors. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says Jesus saves us from the wrath to come. Every day a sinner continues in this life that's not born again. The Bible says he's storing up wrath. He's storing up wrath for the day of judgment. He's storing up wrath for the day of judgment. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, it says that Jesus saves us from the wrath to come. That wrath that was coming towards the sinner because of his rebellion and disobedience gets transferred, and that wrath falls on who? Christ. He took the wrath of God for us at Calvary. The punishment for our sin the, the wrath of God, That's, that, that, that word don't even sound good to my ears. We don't even like it, but it's the truth that the wrath of God was poured out on Christ so that it would not be poured out on us. He saves us from the wrath to come. Galatians 1.4 says uh, he delivers us from this present evil age. I don't, I don't know that I'd still be alive today. I got saved in 1992 had a radical change. If I, would, if I was continuing living the life I was living before 1992, I don't know if I would be here today. I honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I would at the path I was going. But he, but he, but he changes our course. Galatians 1.4, he saves us from this present evil age. Because of becoming a Christian and because of following the Bible and because of following these principles, it changes my course in life. And it saves me from a lot of the heartache and a lot of the pain and a lot of the bad things that happen in this world. Number three, this was found in Luke 174. He delivers us from our enemies. 
He delivers us from our enemies. And if you go and read the passage, so that he delivers us from our enemies so that we can go and serve him. So that we can serve him. You know, we, we don't, we don't, we don't uh, fear our enemies because we know our God is greater. And we know that his, his gospel advances. When Pastor Richard Wormbrandt was in those cells, you know, he didn't fear his enemies. They tortured him. They beat him. He had cl- clearly, they beat him in some places so many times, it was just one big welt. But he had, before Congress, he showed 18 marks. He showed 18 marks from his enemies, but he didn't fear his enemies. And then in verse 13, it says, uh, from the domain of darkness. From the domain of darkness, it says, to the kingdom of his beloved son. My friend, there's only two domains. There's only two domains in the world. You know, there's not a third domain. There's not a fence. There's not a purgatory. There's not a gray area. There's, there's, there's one path that, that's the Christian path that leads to eternal life in heaven. And then there's the path of destruction that leads to eternity in the lake of fire. Man, I, I'm no dummy. I want eternal life. <laughs> I, I want eternal life. I want eternal life. I want a, a blessed life. I want a joy-filled life. I want a victorious life. And, and when he moves you from the domain of darkness, which leads to destruction, he puts you on the path to eternal life. And it's a life of blessing. There's only two domains. Two domains of the kingdom of his beloved son. Let's look at that's That's the first reason. The first reason why Jesus is worthy of all is he is our deliverer according to scripture. Let's look at verse 14. We'll look at number 2. I'm preaching on each verse, five verses. It says, verse 14, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Number 2 this morning, the second reason why Jesus is worthy of it all is this. He is our Redeemer. Isn't that just a beautiful word? He is our Redeemer. It's like he, he takes what we've done with our life and what we've messed it up, and he redeems it. He redeems it. The word redemption is apalatrusas. It means to purchase back, to, to pay the fine. Jesus has redeemed us, and he's paid the fine. Go with me for a minute. Some of you have heard this illustration, but if you haven't, I'm going to share with you a courtroom illustration. Imagine for a moment you're in a court of law, okay? You are in a court of law. You're standing before a judge. You're guilty of a heinous crime. You pick the crime, whatever the crime may be. And you're guilty. They showed the evidence on the wall. David did. Here's the pictures of David's crime. And they showed the five pictures. I'm clearly guilty. There's no way out of it. It's set. And I'm, there's nothing I can do. And the judge looks at me and says, Mr. Ford, do you have anything to do? Before, you have anything to say before I pass sentence? And I said, looking at the evidence. I have nothing to say. I can't defend myself. They got pictures of me robbing or stealing or whatever it is. And I say, no, your honor. I have, I have, I have nothing to say before I pass sentence, before you pass sentence. And then the courtroom goes silent as he's prepared to pass sentence. And then all of a sudden, you hear the back doors open of the courtroom. And someone comes bursting in and says, wait a minute, your honor. I'll pay his fine. I'll pay his fine. And here's a check. Here you go, honor. Here, here's, here's the check. Here's, here's the, um, and I'll go to jail for him. I will pay the fine. All the law requires is that justice be met. And if, if, the, if, the, if the fine has been paid, justice has been met. 
the judge looks at me and says, Mr. Ford, you're free to go. Your fine has been paid. And I get let go. That's what Jesus Christ did for you and I in God's legal eternal courtroom. He stepped in. We were guilty of our sin. And he stepped into the courtroom and said, Your Honor, Father God, I will pay Andy's fine. That's what he did for us. That's the picture of redemption. The picture of redemption in the scripture is this. You and I, we broke God's law. We have a debt. Jesus paid the fine. And then it, goes, it says in the second half of verse 14, he says, look, this is beautiful. He says, the forgiveness of sin. The word forgiveness, aphesis, it means ascending. The word forgiveness means ascending away. Ascending it away. The picture is a scapegoat from Leviticus chapter 16. In Leviticus chapter 16, they would bring two goats to the tabernacle. The first goat would be the sin offering. They would slay the goat and they would take the blood from the goat. They would take it into the Holy of Holies and they would sprinkle the blood. They would sprinkle the blood over the ark, over the mercy seat. And then the second goat, the, um, they would lay their hands on the goat. And they would confess, the, the, the high priest would lay his hands on the goat and confess the sins of the nation of Israel. And that goat would be let go into the wilderness. It was, it was taken away. Jesus Christ is the, our lamb that has not only made propitiation, has made atonement for our sins in the Holy of Holies, but he's just like the scapegoat. He's taken away our sins. He's removed them. Our man's greatest need is forgiveness. And Jesus does that for us. He, gives, he brings us forgiveness. We need to be remembered of that. You know, we, we need to be remembered that because of his great sacrifice at Calvary, that he's redeemed us and he's forgiven us of all of our sin. Not some of it, but all of it. Past, present, future. That's how awesome our God is. So that's the second reason Jesus is worthy of it all. He's our redeemer. Let's look at the third one. Verse, look at verse 15 in your Bible. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The third reason I present to you this morning why Jesus is worthy of it all is this. Jesus is Lord and God. He is Lord and God. When Pastor Warren was in his sales, he knew he was serving the creator of the universe. The Lord God Almighty. And it says there in verse 15, he says, uh, the first half of the verse, look at it. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. The image means icon. He's the exact representation of who God is. To say that Christ is the image of God is to say that in him, the nature and being of God is perfectly revealed. That's what he's saying about Christ. John 14, 9, Jesus told Philip, he said, if you've seen me, you've what? You've seen the Father. You've seen the Father. So Jesus is the exact representation of, of, of who God is. You want to know who God is? Study the life of Jesus. Study the, the, what the epistles say about him and the, and the gospels say about him. You see him. Now, there's a phrase in here that some false teachers have tried to use to teach that Christ had a beginning Look at it, verse 15, he says, he is the image of the invisible God, the, and here it is, the firstborn of all creation. This word firstborn has caused some confusion, but what, what firstborn means 
It means uh, the one who is supreme, the one who is first in position over everything. The word for firstborn, the Greek word is protokos, is used to designate a place of superiority, supremacy, and uniqueness. It means he is over creation. If you clearly read in the context of this whole chapter, Jesus Christ is Lord and he is God. But, he, but the scripture calls him the firstborn because he is over all. He, he, is, he, he is over all. Remind you in um, John chapter 20. John chapter 20, uh, after Jesus' resurrection, I want to read to you from John chapter 20, verses 26 to 28. It says, after eight days, the disciples were again inside. And Thomas said to them, Thomas, excuse me, Thomas was with them. Jesus came and the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, he said to Thomas, remember what Thomas was doing? Thomas was what? He was doubting. Jesus says to Thomas, he says, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hands and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing. And how did Thomas respond to him? My Lord and my God. Proclaiming the deity of Jesus Christ. You know, as I was been studying the book of Colossians, you know, just getting a refreshers on, on some other religious beliefs of groups that don't believe as we do in Scripture. And one of them I was looking at this week was Jehovah. Um, yeah, yeah, it was Jehovah Witness I was looking at. I was looking at multiple ones. But I remember I was looking at Jehovah Witness. And they actually say on their website that nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus is God. <laughs> and I was like, what Bible are you reading? <laughs> you know, but uh, they, they, they believe he was created. And that's heresy. Scripture is very clear that Jesus Christ is Lord and God. Part of our confession, when, you, when a person becomes a believer, Romans 10, 9 is what? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That word Lord is deity, is God. He's the supreme ruler of your life. So we hold very tightly to that, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. He is deity. He is the exact representation that's come from heaven. Let's look at number four. We'll go to verse 16. Verse 16 says, For by him all things were created, both in the, he's talking about Jesus, folks. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him. And look at that part at the very end. We're going to talk about that in a second. And for him. Talking about Jesus here. The fourth reason why Jesus is worthy of it all is he is the creator of of the universe. He is the creator of the universe. Hebrews 1-2 says, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also what? Made the universe. Made the universe. That, the, the, and then John, John chapter 1 verses 1-3, through three, he also says um, talking about Jesus being the creator, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. My friend, everything in the universe, everything in the universe, the rings around Saturn, 
Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he knows every dust particle on the planet Mars. He knows everything about this universe. Why? Because it was created. The the scripture says uh, the heavens, talking about the universe, Psalms 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare, that, that declares the glory of God. That's the that's the second heaven, then the first heaven, the atmosphere around the earth. It says the heavens declare the glory of God. Then it says the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. Everything was created by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you have planet earth. Planet earth was created by Jesus. Everything from Niagara Falls to the vast oceans. You know how much, uh, the, how much surface of the earth the oceans cover almost 70%, somewhere right there, around 70%. But he created all that. That's why he's worthy. He's not just this human being, ancient, archaic figure from a long time ago in Nazareth, but he's Lord of the universe. Then I think about Mount Everest. I think about the Marana Trench, the deepest, the, the, the Mount Everest being the highest point on the earth. Morana Trench being the lowest part of the earth. He knows them intimately. He knows every detail. And then here is the end of verse 16. Look at the end of verse 16 where he talks about he created the heavens and the earth. He says in verse 16, this is what I want to bring to your attention. All things have been created through him and for him. All things. That, my friend, includes you. That includes you this morning. He knows every detail of who you are. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He he knows all the thoughts in your mind. He, He knows your life from beginning to end. He knows you intimately. And what you need to know from this passage this morning is this. You were created for him. That's your ultimate purpose on this earth is to know your God. To know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I didn't say nothing about being religious or, 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 or knowing a bunch of traditions, but just about simply being a Christian and knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, having that personal, intimate relationship with you. It says, all things have been created through him and for him. That includes you and I, brothers and sisters. That includes you and I. We were created to know him to know him intimately, to love him, to experience his grace, to experience his his truth. What an amazing thing. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings, so we can dig into the word, so we can have fellowship, so we can have time of worship. And the whole purpose is, is not to check the block, but to go away from here saying, man, I know my Lord and Savior a little more better than I knew him yesterday and growing in that faith and growing in that relationship. So the fourth reason why Jesus is worthy of it all is he is the creator of the universe. Let's look at the last one, verse 17. Um, Verse 17 says the fifth reason. He is before all things, talking about Jesus, he is before all things and in him All things hold together. What Pastor David sees in this verse, the reason why Jesus is worthy of it all, is Jesus is sovereign. 
He is the sovereign Lord. He is the sovereign Lord. Many times people struggle with what that word sovereign means, what sovereignty means. It means he has it all in, in his control. This means, this, the sovereignty of, G, of the Lord Jesus Christ means that this Jesus of Nazareth, who was born in an animal stable, a stinky animal stable in Bethlehem, who grew up in Nazareth, a place that was said there was nothing good came from there. The one that had no place to lay his head. The one who ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners. The one that was stripped, beaten, humiliated, crucified at the hands of the Roman soldiers. The one that went through all that, he is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He is the sovereign one over everything we see. He is the creator. Sovereignty means he possesses all power and is ruler of all things. He rules, and Jesus Christ rules according to his eternal purposes. Wow. That's what makes Jesus Christ worthy of it all. That what makes, that, that's what makes him worthy. Do we understand that? Do we see that? That's what God the Father wants us to see in his son, Jesus Christ. And it should call us, it should call us, it should cause us to fall on our face and to love him and to obey him and to be conformed into his image and to follow him and say with Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. You know, ask, Lord, what do you want me to do in the kingdom what do you want me to do with my life? How can I glorify you in raising my children? How can I glorify you um, in, in or wives loving your husbands and husbands loving your wives? What can I do? What can I do to, to show that you're worthy of it all? Not, not to show because he is worthy of it all, but to help us as human beings in our frailty understand that he is worthy of it all. You know, um, I told you during announcements, we're taking the next step in, in establishing our church. As I, I like to say it, a fully operational church that's about the kingdom business. You know, we did the fellowship. We got the prayer night. Now we're having opportunities for missions, and we're having opportunities to serve in the body, outside of the body. Go by and look at the table on your way out. There's opportunities for DJJ. There's opportunities for um, neighborhood outreaches. There's opportunities for um, nursing homes going out, but then there's also opportunities for within the body, working with students, working with, with children, working with uh, first touch ministry. There's all kind of ways we can serve, but going back to the message this morning, in closing, is this, why do we do missions? Why do, why do missionaries go out around the world and serve Christ? Why, why do they do it? Because he is worthy. Because he is worthy. Why, you know, that's missions. Why, why do we go help our neighbor and take them a meal and, and help them in the name of Christ? Why do we do that? Because Christ is worthy. Why, here, let's look inside the church. Why do we do children's ministry? Why do, why do we serve in children's ministry? Because Jesus Christ is worthy. Why do we visit people in the hospital 
that we don't even know who they are. Oh yeah, there's, by the way, there's a sign up out there for hospital visitation. But why do we go to the, why do we carve time out of our schedule, of our busy schedule, and say, you know what, I'm going to go visit them in the hospital? Because Jesus is worthy. Why do we volunteer to serve in the sound and the soundboard and the pro presenter and play instruments and sing? Why do we do all this? Here's the reason why. Blake and them don't, it's not so they can be seen, but they want to serve Christ. And, they, and, 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 and Jesus Christ is worthy. In that nursery, why do we change them stinky diapers? Why, why do we change them stinky diapers? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy. People come to the local church and, and get fed and get built up in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So yes, we change diapers because the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy. You know, we come out here during the week. You know, why does fish do what he does at the front door? Praise the Lord. Thank you for fish. Why does he greet people and give them a warm smile and swing open that door for you? Why is he doing it? Is he doing it for himself? No. He does it because he loves his Lord and Savior. And he loves serving the body. That's why we do it. That should be our driving, that should be our driving factor in ministry, in whatever ministry you participate in. And I know a lot of you guys are plugged into ministries and you're doing wonderful things. We got people here that go out to DJJ on their own. We got people here that um, serve in other areas of ministry and Bible studies. We do it because Jesus Christ is worthy of it all. And, you know, and I'm just, okay, I'm, I'm judging myself right now, okay? I'm judging myself. I'm not judging you, okay? But this week as I was studying Pastor Richard Wormbrandt's um, life, preparing to present it this morning, you know, um, in my past, people have come to me and said, hey, man, would you like to serve in this ministry? And um, I said, no. I don't want to. <laughs> Just being honest. You know, there's been, there's been seasons of my life where, no, I don't want to. And I got to thinking about those opportunities I have that I pass, that I let go. Now, now listen, I'm not saying go volunteer for a ministry just to volunteer for a ministry. All ministries, need to, you, need to pray, you need to pray about it, seek the Lord, and ask God. Say, God, is this what you want me to do? Because not every ministry is for every person, okay? But this is where I'm going with this thought. This morning, I was thinking about Richard Warren. He was in a, a cell for three years. For three years. What's that? Like 1,100 days? I think I can go on a missions trip for a week. I think I can, I can, I can, I can in, in, in endure the heat of Central America for a week. I can go down there and make sure I don't drink their water, but drink my bottle of water. <laughs> and ignore the comforts of life for a week, I can do it for Christ. So, so as, as we move forward, church, I'm not twisting your arm. Go out there, look at the ministries. You go home, you pray about it, you seek the Lord and see if there's a ministry that you're possibly interested in. Um, but remember, whatever ministry you do, even the ministry within the family, moms, raising your children, Fathers, leading your children, raising, leading your family. Do it because Jesus is worthy of it all. Do it his way because he's worthy of it all. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, that you are. Your son, Jesus Christ, is worthy of it all. Lord, help us to, um, 
understand, Lord Jesus, that, that, that you are the Lord God Almighty. You are our Redeemer. You are our Deliverer. You are our Creator. You're not just some ancient, archaic, historical person who walked the dusty streets of Israel 2,000 years ago, but you're high and you're seated on your throne. Lord, you are worthy of it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. By request, I asked Blake this week, hey, can you close worship this Sunday with that song, You're Worthy of It All. So reflect and ponder how great your God is.